0: Meet the Everyday Executive, helping you thrive in any position, from intern to boardroom.
1: Welcome to the Everyday Executive. I'm your host, Adam Mattis. The Everyday Executive is focused on helping you to become the best professional that you're capable of being. We will provide you with tools, tips, and tactics that you can take to the office and begin implementing tomorrow to help you become more efficient, more productive, and a better colleague. This week, I'm pumped to bring you Pascal Dennis. Pascal is an author and lifelong lean leader who can trace his roots all the way back to the heart of Toyota production systems in Toyota City in Japan. Pascal is going to help us understand what it takes to effectively lead teams, what it takes to build great products through efficiency, and how a little bit of kindness and humanization can take your organization to the next level. Enjoy this one with Pascal Dennis. All right, Pascal, before we get started here, I do have to tip the hat you just did to me offline, but we'll do it here on the recording. Those Blue Jays took care of my Orioles last night. They're moving on, so congrats.
0: Thank you, uh, um, Adam. I wanted to tip my hat to the Orioles, though. Holy cow, what a team. Um, Adam Jones, Scope, um, Trumbo, and the rest of them. Absolutely fantastic team, and both sides deserve to win. So tip of the hat to the Orioles. Great season.
1: Absolutely. And that's how I can tell that you're Canadian because you're very polite about it. Anybody here would just kind of tear me apart, so I appreciate that. (laughs)
0: Well, my granddad was an American, so for what it's worth.
1: There you go. (laughs) All right, so we'll go ahead and get started here. Uh, Pascal, if you could, just in a few words, tell us who you are and what you stand for.
0: Um, I'm a a chemical engineer by training, Um, Adam. uh, I grew up uh, uh, professionally at Toyota Motor Manufacturing, and um, I guess what I stand for is fundamentals, fundamentals. Uh, the fundamentals of management, of uh, ethics, um, and um, a way of of leading, a way of managing that I was lucky enough to to learn, uh, working with very kind and and patient senseis at Toyota during the nineties. Outstanding, and that's that's something that's really special. That I think for a lot of folks that are
1: listening that have any familiarity with Lean. They know just how special it is to be that close to TPS and and Toyota Production Systems and the folks in that organization. Um, Can you kind of talk us through your lean journey, you know, where you first got your exposure and what really piqued your interest in the operating philosophy?
0: Um, Yeah, I uh, uh, was trained in chemical engineering and business, as I said, and uh, um, I I began my my career working in um, the engineering um, helping design uh, uh, mining plants and and pro- processing uh, plants, and I this was uh, you know in in the 80s, and um, the TQM wave uh, uh, was was rolling through the world, and so I heard about people like uh, Joe Duran and W. Edwards Deming and the like, uh, and that was my first introduction, and it just made a lot of sense. Um, as it happened, I was very simpatico with Japanese culture because um, I've studied Aikido uh, all my life and I, I actually started when I was 15 years old so I had a, a good sense of Japanese culture and uh, I had a sense that this made sense you know this was just the right way of uh, of managing and then I was lucky enough to get hired at Toyota Motor Manufacturing Canada but an hour and a half west of uh, our home in Toronto and uh, my apprenticeship began in earnest. I
1: gotta say you know where I first was introduced to you and kind of your your writings was in The Remedy. I think I was in one of I don't remember what class I was in but somebody recommended the book to me and I picked it up and I won't lie and say I read it I actually bought the audiobook and listened to it as I was going back and forth between Nashville and Memphis and (laughs) I think The thing that really hit me about it was that, you know, I've read The Toyota Way and a lot of those other books, and they're not entertaining reads. They're great reference materials. It's, you know, you mentioned Deming and and some of those other, you know, great leaders in our space. And like The Principles of Product Development Flow is another great read, and I force myself through it once a year, but it's not something that's entertaining. And what I really appreciated about The Remedy was that you packed so many great lessons and great understandings of lean philosophies and Toyota production systems. In an entertaining story. Do you want to kind of talk us through the journey that you went through writing that book and and some of the maybe people you reached out to to contribute
0: and what you learned? Yeah, um, you're very kind to say so, Adam. Thanks. Uh, um, The Remedy is, uh, as you know, the second in a series of books that began with Andy and Me. And uh, I just published Andy and Me and the Hospital, which uh, completes the trilogy. Um, and um, it, uh, the three books follow the adventures of Tom Pappas, uh, who's an auto executive with problems, and his uh, sensei, a, a mysterious reclusive uh, ex-Toyota heavyweight who's living in New Jersey of all places. Um, and I've always believed in the power of stories. I think uh, we're hardwired for stories, You know, 50,000 years ago uh, on the African savannah, we didn't uh, show PowerPoint. We told stories. So um, I wanted to express all that I'd learned and all that, um, you know, very kind senseis had taught me over the years through uh, these characters. So Tom Pappas and Andy Saito and all the other people are people that I know, people that I've worked with. um, uh, They're real people. And the situations are real. I mean, it's a fictional story, but it's based on actual experience. And I want to make it compelling for people uh, and get uh, the, the humanity uh, behind the system. Um, just the methods and tools uh, uh, are inadequate to really convey the full power of the system. What, what struck me in in all my years at Toyota and working with, with the, the greatest senseis is that the fundamentals are... Uh, are ethics, you know, the right way of being, the right way of managing, the right way of um, of leading, as opposed to uh, just a set of uh, uh, methods. That's
1: so true, and the space that I work in as well. So it's it's definitely a, a boiled down version of what you've experienced in the audio industry and, and many other places. So, with the lean agile mindset and Scrum agile framework and different things like that, I mean, it's it's a big deal in technology right now, and essentially. You know, our our most advanced systems in the world are finally realizing that the way that they've been building since the beginning of their existence is wrong and that these big batches and and these predictive kind of philosophies don't work. So a lot of these companies that I work with, you know, we come in and they're looking for this quick fix. They look for this buzzword. And I think what they really miss out on are the two things that, that you just mentioned that are so critical, and that's the humanity of the system and that. Every single one of these systems that we build is managed by people, and people are the ones doing the work. And you can't work with the people and get what you need through that system without a certain degree of kindness. This week's episode of The Everyday Executive is brought to you by Madison Company. For those of us that have worked in a corporate environment, I'm sure we've all had interactions with consulting firms. The big firms out there, you know who I'm talking about and you know how they work. They come into your culture, they create an environment that is dependent upon them, so you can't get rid of them. They create a dependency that requires us to make sure that we have them funded year after year after year, and we're even forced to make staffing decisions and cuts based on our need to keep that firm around. It's time to take a different look at consulting, and it comes from the Anti-Consultancy Consultancy at Madison Company. If your culture needs a refresh, if you want to improve those employee engagement scores, if you want to figure out ways to make your team work better together, Madison Company has the skills, the experience, and the team you need to achieve the operational outcomes that you're after. Specializing in scaled agile transformations, lean enterprise, and cultural transformation, Madison Company has the years of knowledge and the breadth of expertise to help make your goals a reality. Learn more at MattisLC.com dot com. That's m a t t i s l c dot com. Now back to the show.
0: We've been lucky enough to work with um, many IT uh, designers and developers uh, over the years. And Agile is the grandson, if you will, of Lean. is very simpatico. Uh, but to your point, um, any expression of Lean, whether it's uh, you know Lean for Design or Agile or uh, Lean Startup or TPS, you know the Granddaddy. Um, all rest on a foundation of um, human values. That's what sustains the system in the long term. Um, otherwise, it, it collapses on itself. And, uh, you know, the electronics companies we've worked with, to your point, are learning this. Um, if you don't have that foundation and you lack fundamental human systems, it's hard to motivate people to do extraordinary things in the long term. In the short term, you know, extraordinary leaders like a Steve Jobs, can motivate people, but to sustain it, you've got to build a foundation of, of decency. And you, you see in Apple, uh, Tim Cook, uh, among his many talents, exudes a decency and a humanity. And I think that's one of the reasons that Apple continues to excel, continues to innovate. Um, if he was a swine and Apple was run by swines, by now they would have started to decay and collapse, you know? Certainly. I always
1: like to reference back to the writings by Daniel Pink in his book Drive, You know, talking about what it really takes to yeah. achieve engagement with just mastery, autonomy, and purpose. And I, and I feel like a lot of management systems that are in place were semi-effective, and I won't say wholly, but semi-effective when we were just building widgets on a production line. And as our work gets more detailed and more complex, um, it just requires a certain understanding that people are pretty smart. They're well educated, they know how to do their jobs, and you just need to get out of their way. And and a lot of that is again covered by, you know, Daniel Pink and his philosophies, and then also to a certain degree by uh, Cal Newport and his book Deep Work. So there's just a lot of interesting things out there. And I think it's fascinating that it's all really started, you know, with Toyota City in Japan with those basic lean philosophies with Taiichi Ono and what was it, the loom, right? The automated loom is where it all started.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan of of Dan Pink's uh, work. As you say, it's it's bang on. And um, you know, in my experience, uh, people will not follow swine. You know, at least not in the long term. In the short term, you can bully and oppress and humiliate, humiliate, I suppose. But it doesn't last in the long term. So those, uh, you know, a humble. Uh, factories in Japan and Toyota City, Honshu, uh, Honshu Plant and um, Takaoka Plant and Sitsumi Plant did something really unique. Uh, and it was an unprecedented agreement, if you will, between uh, you know management and the workers. The deal was, you'll have a job here for life. Not only that, we're going to invest in you. We're going to teach you all sorts of things so that you are invaluable to us. And we don't want you to leave. And the, the deal is that you stay and you help us to improve. And it was um, brilliant in its humanity and simplicity. And, um, you know, we're still um, uh, trying to understand and trying to express and translate um, that fundamental understanding in, in different industries now. And you mentioned IT and uh, you know software design. Well, it's it, we have to fundamentally offer the same Deal to people, you know if we want them to do extraordinary things
1: Certainly, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well with your consulting clients But anytime I go into a new organization one of the ground rules that I have and it's a big culture shift for a lot of people is that we don't refer to our team members as resources. That's the first step to dehumanization and looking at them as interchangeable just mechanisms. Yeah, well and, and, I, and I think what you mentioned there, the reciprocal agreement that Toyota has in their factories is something that so many manufacturing and just companies in general have forgotten. That, and that's when an employee accepts a job, there's a reciprocal agreement there that says as long as the employee comes in, does their absolute best to the best of their capability, every single day, that the employer has an obligation to essentially take care of that person and their family. There's the agreement there that if you give me your best, we'll give you our best.
0: That seems uh, fair and decent and human, you know. Um, I mentioned electronics. Uh, It's an industry that uh, is very young uh, and um, has had some rough times because they didn't know that. And not out of ill will. It's simply because, you know, young companies need to go through a certain development to understand what, what, you, what we're describing here. So you hear awful stories like, uh, you know, uh, the treatment of uh, workers at Foxconn, for example, a few years back, the suicides. And. And stuff. So, I mean, Terry Goo and Foxconn is trying to uh, ameliorate that and trying to behave in a a better way and more human way. We heard the same thing in in factories that uh, Apple was using. So, younger companies, uh, if they're decent and honorable, will learn this over time and have to learn this if they're going to succeed. The great companies that last generation after generation after generation and continue to reinvent themselves. Are those that have that foundation? And you mention um, Toyota. You know, just rhyme off the other ones. Uh, the great ones, the Procter and Gamble's, the Honeywells, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera, all have a foundation of of fundamental decency. When they lose it, they really struggle. And I won't I won't name names, but um, you know, there are a number of very famous companies that that lost their way and some are able to regain uh their connection to the fundamentals and others don't and uh usually they're obsolesced you know uh, because it's again it's hard to compete and innovate continually if you don't have that fundamental trust of your people certainly and it it comes down to reinvention
1: too a lot of those companies that you mentioned have shown resiliency one of the ones i always like to look back at is is GE, I mean, you look at foundationally where they started and what they do now, It's they're literally in every industry. And so much to the point where I think it was in the beginning of this year where they had a completely new ad campaign to show that they've reevaluated, they've reinvented, and they're, they're morphing for the future. I think it was a bunch of recent college grads sitting around a table and they're all talking about the crazy app companies that they're working for, and the one kid says, yeah, I took a job at GE. And they're looking at him like he's crazy and there's so many just good commercials like that that are out right now and yeah if you just look at the headlines from GE this year from you know that that ad campaign to the fact that they've abandoned the archaic performance review that's another sign of a great company companies that aren't afraid to look past their own legacy to understand that the long-term viability comes in your ability to reinvent
0: yeah GE is a great example of that and uh, i think the continual reinvention is to great Degree due to the solid foundation of values, you know. And Thomas Edison was the expression of, of human uh, decency, you know. Um, uh, other, another company that comes to mind is IBM. I mean, they've gone through so many reinventions; it's it's quite remarkable. And and currently, Ginny uh, is uh, is leading uh, a major shift. Uh, uh, and uh, you know, we wish her well. We wish IBM well. But they too, uh, are founded on. The fundamental decency and vision and humanity of uh, old Tom Watson and and young Tom Watson. So it's easy to discount these sorts of things, uh, but it's like um, ignoring the law of gravity. Uh, eventually, um, you know, uh, if you lack these things, the house starts to decay and f- collapse upon each other, and all that's left is, uh, you know, a, a smoldering crater, and the, the community has to pick up the pieces. You know. Certainly, and I
1: feel like a lot of companies don't realize they have an issue until they get to that smoldering crater stage, and then the <laughs> climb out is just—it's—it's it's crazy yeah. difficult. I was talking to yeah, a client yeah. recently um, about the difficulty they're having in hiring. Uh, they're going through a process where they're trying to reinvent and and become a more humble type of organization more employee and customer focused and the issue that they're having is that through years and years and years of layoffs and we've all seen i mean you, know, you have companies that have yeah. employees that have been there for 20 30 years and all of a sudden they come to work one day to a post-it note and then an escort out from hr and what yeah. you get from that in the technology age is a glass door page full of angry and unfortunately realistic reviews And people, people these days, I mean, they're, they're not just going to take a job to get it. I mean, this is one of those points in time where, especially in technical professions where the employee can be picky. And if you've got poor employee reviews, you're just not going to get the candidates. People are really getting to a point. I feel like where lean has become mainstream. And then I feel like a lot of organizations and people, when they hear lean, they think six Sigma and as, as I'm sure you can attest, six Sigma is kind of the end game. That's when you figured out the big problems and you want to start tuning but it's more yeah, than that well it's a, it's about that house of lean the focus on value people culture flow continuous improvement and that's what people want these days
0: you know as as you suggest in hr circles a big part of the discourse nowadays is well how do we motivate the so-called millennials well you put your finger on the many of the key points Adam. i you, you treat them with respect you um, uh, promise them uh, decency and uh, Stability and, and and some level of security, you give them the opportunity to grow. You know uh, those things are just fundamentals. So you do that, I think you'll motivate anybody, millennial or not. Again, people think you can somehow outsmart uh, life. You know you can you can mouth these things, but not really believe them. You can, you know, uh, be superficial, but really people know. And whether it's the glass uh, ceiling or the glass door or whatever, the word gets out and and you suffer everything you described.
1: I think something that you just pointed on there is kind of interesting. And, you know, we talk a lot about millennials and, you know, entitlement and whatever else. I mean, there's a thousand positive and negative things you could say in either direction about, I guess it's my generation too. I'm kind of on the cusp of that. But what I find is that the things that motivate millennials are no different than what motivates anybody else, but the problem is that the outgoing workforce has been spent their entire career being beat down by you know, top-down politics, by do-what-I-say, by essentially management through fear. Ah, uh, advertising, I know. Two minutes, guys, I promise it's worth your time. We can all recognize that at one point or another, we had that coach or that teacher in our lives that helped us to reach the next level, who helped push us through the barriers to take us to new levels of success. Well, just because we've reached adulthood doesn't mean the need for coaching has subsided. In fact, many would argue that you have more of a need for a coach now than ever. Check out everydayexecutive.co to learn about the coaching services that we provide. We'll help you set goals, overcome boundaries, and become your best self. All the tools you need to reach that next level of career success that we're all so desperately chasing. Now back to the show. I think something that you just pointed on there is kind of interesting. And, you know, we talk a lot about millennials and, you know, entitlement and whatever else. I mean, there's a thousand positive and negative things you could say in either direction about, I guess it's my generation too. I'm kind of on the cusp of that. But what I find is that the things that motivate millennials are no different than what motivates anybody else. But the problem is that the outgoing workforce has been, spent their entire career being beat down by, you know, top-down politics, by do what I say, by... Essentially, management through fear. And that's all they know. And you've got the new generation that's coming in that's saying, we're not accepting that. We insist on being treated like humans. We insist on being treated differently. And I think a lot of the clash there comes from this one generation that comes in where you create value when you create security based on the information that you hold, which is in stark contrast to the new generation coming in, which derives value from what you can share. I mean, a lot of these folks were born with iphone in hand and and facebook and twitter and whatever else and it's it's just a very interesting kind of dynamic and i find that when you sit down with those people and really kind of point out that you know you're not really that different you're you're not wired any different your experiences are just different that begins to start that conversation
0: yeah i think you express it very well you know and uh yeah some people say oh well you know millennials have a sense of entitlement well is it a sense of entitlement to expect to be treated with respect, to expect, you know, the fundamental uh, standards of decency uh, and, you know, respect for people, respect for the environment to uh, be honored? I don't think so. And and more power to them. You know, um, I've seen too many bozo executives. I mean, I've spent, I've spent a good part of my time the last decade plus coaching senior leaders. And for the most part, most are are, are good hearted, recognize the responsibility that they have. It's, you know, as Shakespeare says, uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. But there is a, a percentage, and you just referenced it, that uh treat people like dirt. They try to control, they humiliate, they lead by fear. And uh why should anybody accept that? And if you're a talented millennial or anybody that, that has access to information and uh, uh, is able to use it why should why should you accept it I think they're absolutely right and I think it's a very healthy thing I, I look forward to the day um, when bozo executives and bozo companies are penalized harshly for their cruelty or stupidity you know that that seems to be a just dessert to me certainly I was talking to a, to a woman
1: just a few days ago and she was talking about similar things that she's seen in medicine where certain philosophies and certain studies and research and and thought will stick around for an entire generation. And it's not that those thoughts are correct or incorrect, but they're unwilling to accept anything new. So you almost have to wait for an entire generation of physicians to retire before the new research and the new techniques and the new ideas are welcomed by the broader medical community. And I think it's you, know, you see the same thing with, with executives, especially well-tenured executives, who have been within a certain organization for just decades, and they know what they know, and they might recognize that things need to change, but they also recognize that, well, what they've been doing for the last 30 years is fairly successful, so why upset the
0: apple cart? Yeah, yeah, um, I, I think that's very well said. Um, we you know, work a lot in healthcare and financial services, uh, industries that express many of the uh, traits that you described, you know, long tenure, very fixed mindsets. And, um, you know, uh, a big part of my practice is, is working with senior leaders and trying to shift their mindsets. Because to your point, if you cannot shift the senior leader's mindset, the organization um will will blight. It'll be stuck. Um, I guess another way of expressing it is you cannot lead a team to a place that you've not gone yourself, you know? So, I I mean, GE's a great example. I, I don't know Jeffrey Imelt, but I, I have great respect for him. I, I know that uh, when the idea of Lean Startup was presented to him, it was very different than what he... Uh, uh, probably grew up, uh, thinking and understanding, but to his great credit, he said, yeah, let's try it. You know? Uh, so he must be, uh, I would guess an evolved leader and a flexible, uh, thinker and a, a very effective leader. I would guess, um, if you can have someone like that, then the sky's the limit. You can reinvent yourself and continue to create new sigmoid curves as we call them. If not, uh, you'll be obsolesced, uh, but the problem is that you'll be obsolesced with a golden parachute, but the smoking crater will will leave thousands of of lives uh, that are devastated. You know, so it's a heavy responsibility, and I I'm impatient with leaders that don't accept that responsibility and behave uh, accordingly. You know,
1: you and me both. I think the difference is maybe you have the uh, maybe a little a little more. Maybe you're a little longer in the tooth, and Kate can get away with it a little bit better than I can. I often get I often get asked to have kid gloves with uh, some of my senior executives because uh, I'm a little too blunt and maybe a little too millennial for my own good and my impatience for (laughs) treating people poorly, but (laughs) I digress so
0: well stick to it stick to it though we need uh, to hold uh, people accountable I'm, I'm a little luckier because i spent all those years in an aikido dojo so i can turn japanese pretty quickly you know? <laughs> <laughs> if i have to rarely do
1: That's, so i have probably probably the exact opposite background i grew up a, a little north of pittsburgh where everything was basically we were raised with the mindset if you want to and this is a quote from my buddy johnny at the art of charm but it's so spot on we were raised with the mindset that if you want to be successful in life, you want to be more successful than the guy next to you, you just got to swing your hammer harder. So we have this whole <laughs> mindset that if you want to change something, you need to beat on it until it breaks, which it took me a lot of years <laughs> in my career to get over the fact that that's not the way that the world works. But I, f- I feel like when it comes to treating people kindly, and my insistence for that, that, well, maybe I we need to take my own advice. But nonetheless, so, so Pascal, I want to talk to you about your new book, um, talking about... The journey into the healthcare system, because I feel like that's kind of our final frontier, as it were, here for for our lean journey. I don't remember which journalist it was earlier in the year who was diagnosed with cancer and was checked into a hospital. And he wrote a whole series of articles. I don't remember if it was NBC or Fox or whoever it was. But he was talking about how horribly he was treated. like He was treated like just another piece of meat. Whereas when you, when you look at a healthcare system, it should be the exact opposite. It should be the most humanized of all industries. And, you know, through regulation, and the different things that happen, um, in trying to control that sector, I feel like the people have been really cut out. So can you kind of talk us through just at a super high level, the cliff notes version of your latest book and kind of some of the key teachings from it for folks that might want to pick it up?
0: Yeah. Uh, it's called Andy and Me and the Hospital, uh, Further Adventures on the Lean Journey. And um, Tom and Andy are pulled into a major New York City hospital that's in deep crisis. And can they translate the principles of the Toyota production system uh, to help pull the hospital out of crisis? Um, and it reflects you know, the work that the Lean Pathways team and I have done the past decade, and seeks to show, you know, what does that translation look like? What does a major transformation in a hospital feel like? What kind of leadership is required? Um, what kind of obstacles do you run into? What are possible countermeasures? It's a it's a very real story. And I, I've lived many of these things. And I think it's quite a dramatic story. Uh, certainly people that have read it say, holy cow, it's a real page-turner, which, which pleases me. Um, healthcare is one of the great frontiers. country, if you will, Uh, I'm struck by uh, how good the people are, especially the people on the front line. The people in emergency departments, for example, are like gallant knights, Um, you know, charging into the the fray, um, risking burnout and infectious disease, and dealing with the most horrific situations. And they do it day after day after day. Pascal, I just want to point out to you that that's not a sound effect, that
1: is actual Baltimore City ambulance rolling down the street (laughs) right now, totally not planned, but completely appropriate.
0: (laughs) Well, they're going to take somebody to an emergency department, and those people are heroic in that ambulance and and the people that receive uh, the victim. But the excellence of the people is in sharp contrast to the awfulness of the processes. You know, uh, the basic processes like registration, like, you know, quick look and identification, like scheduling um, are less sophisticated than those in my local dry cleaner, you know. Um, So uh, the mindsets are very fixed, especially among senior leaders, although there is a growing number of superb physician leaders that are leading transformations and I tip my hat to you know Dr. Toussaint and Dr. Gruner at, um, at ThetaCare and uh, Dr. Holloway at Bend Memorial Clinic and the great Dr. Jack Billy at University of Michigan Health System and many, many other just superb physician leaders. But they're still the exception. And it's vital work because we talk about lean and TPS being about value. Will hospitals provide the greatest value of all life? time health a time to enjoy your family enjoy just the the magic of being alive and sitting in your backyard with a beer or watching the baseball game or you know throwing a ball around with your son that's the greatest value of all so we have to get this right uh but right now it's not a great situation uh by and large for for many of the reasons you talked about Um, but i'm optimistic it's going to take a decade and to all the good people Fighting the good fight in hospitals. Stay with it. It's going to take a long time, but you're going to win. Pascal, that's fantastic. I definitely can't wait to pick that one up. And I, I
1: apologize for not having read it before uh, before we talked. So we'll definitely link up. Um, you know that your your entire series of writings, uh, as well as um, your your personal websites and everything in the show notes. So if folks are interested, they can check it out there. You know personally, like I said, I mean I strongly suggest it. You know if you don't want to pick up the books, if you're not much of a reader, um, are, are all of your books. Pascal, available on Audible, or, or is it just The Remedy?
0: Um, a couple are available on Audible. Um, I, I have uh, suggested to the publisher that we get a few more done. I, I'd like to, to do it myself. I'd love to read. I, uh, often we'll I'll read uh, You know, at uh, public events. They'll, they'll invite me to give a keynote, and I'll read a couple of pages, and people seem to like it. So, yeah, so, half of them are. The other half, not yet.
1: Fantastic. Well, if it helps, publisher... Get him on Audible. <laughs> uh, Pascal, again, thank you so much. Is there anything that you would like to leave the listeners with just as far as some parting words?
0: Stay the course, um, lean slash TPS. And it's various grandchildren, Agile and Scrum, etc., are the right way to manage. Please remember the foundation is simple decency and respect for people. And, and that's what animates everything. And, and please try to, to live according to those values. And, and if you're a leader... Uh, lead that way too and teach others to do the same end of sermon (laughs) (laughs) manage
1: systems through humanity and kindness i love it pascal thank you
0: my pleasure adam and uh, have a great rest of the day
1: wow what a great episode with pascal dennis managing the system with humanity and kindness that's a really important lesson that we can all take to the office tomorrow and begin implementing treat your people well and the quality of your system and your solution will follow If you enjoyed this one with Pascal, please hit him up on Twitter. All of his links are on the show notes page at everydayexecutive.co under the podcast tab. Let him know that you enjoyed his content, check out his books, and again, please tell him thanks. If you do enjoy the podcast, please let us know. We appreciate all emails, but especially the reviews that you can leave us on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere else that you happen to listen to us. Those are what allow us to continue to bring you great content and grow our base to help make you a little bit better every day. Thanks for listening. Hit us up. We'll talk to you soon.